this podcast, Eric Anderson from Proteus talks about the fabric of a leader in this data-driven world. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us Erica Anderson, uh, a brief bio. So Erica Anderson is the founding partner of Produce, a coaching, consulting and training firm that focuses on leader readiness. Over the past 30 years, Erica has developed a reputation for creating approach in learning uh, business building that are tailored to uh, challenges, goals and culture of organizations. She and her colleagues at Proteus focus uniquely on helping leaders at all level. Get ready, stay ready to meet whatever the future might bring. Uh, much, of her, um, uh, much of her recent work has focused on organizational visioning, strategy, executive coaching, and management and leadership development. In these capacities, uh, she serves as consultant advisor to the CEO and top executives of number of corporations, including NBC Universal, Facebook, Hyatt Hotels, uh, GE, Hulu, Madison Square Garden. She also shares her insights about managing people and creating successful businesses by speaking at corporations, nonprofit groups, national associations. Her book and learning guides have been translated into Spanish, Turkish, German, French, Russian, and Chinese. And she has contributed to and been quoted in a variety of national publications, including Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Fortune, New York Times. Erica is also one of the most popular leadership blogger at Forbes.com. She is the author of Be Bad First, Get Good at Things Fast to Stay Ready for the Future, Leading So People Will Follow, Being Strategic, Plan for Success, um, Outthink Your Competition, Stay Ahead of Change, Growing Great Employees, Turning Ordinary People into Extraordinary Performers, and the author and the host of Proteus Leader Show, a regular podcast that offers quick practical support for leaders and managers. With that, Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I think it's um, prepare leaders for re- uh, future readiness. I think that's that's music to lot of lot of ears nowadays because world is evolving, uh, technology is uh, dictating lot of our evolution, and then a um, lot of new roles are being created. A lot of new leaders are creating, even in the data world and non-data world. So. First, welcome to the podcast, and and why don't you sort of walk us through your journey? Like, what brought you here? What brought me here to this specific podcast today with you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I started working in the field of learning, really helping organizational learning. How do whole organizations learn? How do people in organizations learn? Almost forty years ago, and kind of worked in other people's companies for about 10 years while I really got clear about what I wanted to do. And then almost 30 years ago, started Proteus to, as you said, really focus on helping leaders be ready for whatever comes. And that to me means skills, mindset, and, and that's just evolved. You know, I've had the good fortune to read these books that to write these, have written these books that have done well and built this lovely company. And, and so I think you and I connected on uh, either Twitter or LinkedIn which is part of all of our world these days. And, um, you know, and when I heard that you're talking about big data, which is fascinating to me, although I don't know very much about it, and jobs in the future and leadership, I thought, oh, I'm sure we have lots to talk about. <laughs> Interesting. Tell us, what do you do, what do, you do, do nowadays? Um, I uh, have two business partners, so I spend some of my time running the company. I spend a lot of time talking to clients and prospective clients about how we can help them. I spend a lot of time doing executive coaching, 
doing vision and strategy work with organizations, helping organizations figure out how to literally make the changes they need to make to continue to be successful in the future. So a lot of coaching, a lot of consulting, and then just a lot of thinking. I think of myself as a business thinker. I have a mm-hmm. blog at Forbes that I've had for eight or nine years. I'm writing a new book about change. So that's what I do. Interesting. And um, what does Proteus do? If you can walk us through, what, what do you guys do? Well, as you and I were just talking about before, we have, so our core is leader readiness, and we have three practice areas that we use to do that. The first one we call strengthening leaders. So we have an executive coaching practice with a number of wonderful coaches, and we also have a team coaching, a team development practice. So strengthen leaders as individuals and in working together. Um, Our second practice area is called clarifying vision strategy, and we do that. We help organizations or parts of organizations get clear about the future they want to create for themselves and then create good real plans for getting there. And then all the things that need to often when you get clear about the future you're trying to create, you realize that then, you know, you may not be set up properly as an organization or there's a lot of change that you're going to have to go through to get there. So we can help with that. And then finally, we, um, our third practice area is called building skills and knowledge. And we do a lot of leadership and management training to help people, um, have the skills and the mindset that they need to be good leaders in the future. Interesting. So that's fascinating, by the way. So from from your vantage point, what do you see are some of the opportunities nowadays? Like, what do you see um, when when you when you when you see a leader or when you see a particular team getting prepared for this so-called jobs of future? What do you see some of some of the common um, challenges that they face that 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 you you help them with? Well. You know, if we pull the camera all the way back and not talk about specific jobs, but kind of universal challenges, um, and this is basically what I wrote my last book about, I've, I've come to think that um, the, the core challenge and therefore the core skill of the 21st century is being able to learn new skills and new ways of operating quickly and continuously. There's a wonderful, wonderful quote by Alvin Toffler, hmm. and he said this 20 or 30 years ago where he said, the illiterates of the 21st century won't be those who can't read and write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and read. I love that quote. I really think it's true. And, you know, we tend to think of learning as a kind of academic thing, but it's very, I'm talking about muscular, high payoff learning. We're learning to actually behave differently and operate differently. Um, that's hard for us as we get to be adults because we get to be good at some things and we like being good at things. And then we don't want to have to go back to being a novice. And the way the world is now, we all have to sort of go back to being novices every day. There's always new things that we don't know yet that we have to start at the beginning to learn. Interesting. And, and um, what are some of the things you could suggest to, to, to sort of these emerging leaders? Like what are some of the things that, that some could, someone could do to stay relevant as, as, as they're progressing in this, in this rapidly evolving world? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Well, if it's not too uh, self-referential, I can mm. share with you the, the model from this from the Feedback First book. So um, I based this book on um, skills that I, people who were really great learners, and they, these are, I came to four mental skills that I saw them learning and using over and over again. 
And through the book, I use this kind of through line of Michelangelo painting the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. And um, I know it's 500 years old, but it's very modern. He, he and I'll, I'll tell you how that works. So the model is called a new, and it stands for aspiration, neutral self-awareness, um, endless curiosity, and willingness to be bad first. So aspiration means, we all know what aspiration means. It means wanting something. But it turns out that really good learners can make themselves want to learn things. Hmm. People who aren't good learners, they go, I don't want to learn it. They're done, right? Really good learners, Michelangelo is a great example of this. When he was asked by the Pope to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he didn't want to do it. He didn't think of himself as a painter. He thought of himself as a sculptor and an architect. He kept trying to talk the Pope out of it. But, you know. He's the Pope. So, um, so finally he just said, do this. And Michelangelo went through this whole thing of finding out, you know, thinking about what are the benefits to me? What would be the benefits to me of doing this? And he therefore got himself excited about it. And that's what we've seen that really good learners do. When they have to learn something that they don't want to learn, they think about, okay, how would this benefit me? And they think of real benefits to them and it gets them excited enough that they start to learn. Because basically we only learn things we want to learn. So you have to get yourself excited about it. So the second thing, neutral self-awareness. Generally, we as human beings aren't very clear about ourselves. And this is true of new leaders, especially. We don't really see ourselves clearly as leaders. So you can get have better self and And being neutral and accurate in self-awareness is essential. Because if you think you're something you're not, then you're not going to be in a good position to learn. If you think you're a better leader than you actually are, or a worse leader than you actually are, you've got to be pretty accurate, right? So one way to get more accurate is to question yourself. So how we see ourselves lives in how we talk to ourselves about ourselves, mm. right? We say in our heads, oh, I'm great at this, or I'm terrible at this. Well, you can vet that, and scientists are good at this, you know? Mm. Is, is that accurate? <laughs> So when you find yourself saying, oh, I'm really good at giving my people feedback, you go, hmm, is that really accurate? Well, how much data do I have about this? Do I have, how much facts do I have that shows that, I, oh, wow, maybe I don't have facts. And if you just question those things that you tell yourself about yourself, you're much more likely to come to an accurate point of view, to be a fair witness of yourself. And that puts you in a great position to learn. Third skill, endless curiosity. And sometimes scientists are good at this and sometimes not so much. But you know that when you're at your best as a scientist, you're curious, hmm. right? You, you just have this kind of relentless, ooh, I really want to understand that. I want to understand why it's happening and how it works and how it doesn't work. Like a child. You know, I don't know if you have kids, but little kids are relentless. They just have to figure everything out, right? And when we get to be adults, sometimes we sort of get socialized out of that. But if we can re-engage that childhood curiosity as we approach new jobs, new situations, being a leader, new data, whatever it is, then, then we'll be able to learn. Curiosity is turbo, turbocharges learning. And then finally, and this is the most difficult one for most adults, being willing to be bad first. As I said before, you know, when we get to be adults, we like being good at stuff. And when you come up to something new, you're not going to be good at it. And that's hard for us. And we try to either avoid it or pretend we're good at it or, you know, but just to be able to get into that novice state and say to yourself, okay, I'm not good at this right now. Hmm. And I bet I can get good at it. It's like the perfect setup. I'm not good. I acknowledge that. I want to figure out how to get good. Right. 
Interesting. So that's my recommendation. Interesting. And and um, I think fascinating, by the way. And thank you so much for, for, for um, sharing that framework. It's really, really useful. Um, one thing that 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 um, um, I see as 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 sort of uh, when we talk to a lot of leaders, at least in the data science space, and I'm hoping it's the same all across. Uh, in, in as we are all evolving right now from the um, from all the technological landscape and what's whatever's happening, that so leader can lead when they have a clear vision where they're heading to, right? So you yes. you can if if the vision is 2020, things are easy. You can go and do fun stuff and no no question asked. But when things are evolving rapidly, uh, look at um, how um, every sort of every five years, a uh, lot of uh, technologies are changing. A lot of even companies who used to be legacy companies are folding out uh, and, and sort of even the Dow Jones index is getting refreshed with companies that we have never heard of before. So when you are leading in that sort of um, in, in, in an era of this hyper uh, growth, what do you suggest? Like, what are some of the things that you could suggest um, these new and emerging leaders? Like, what what could they do? I, I love that question, Vishal. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately because, as I mentioned to you before, the next book I'm writing, I'm just starting to work on it, is a book about change. Hmm. And I realized that most of the um, common approaches to change, they 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 approach change almost as though it's a discrete event. Okay, we're going to mm. lift something up and move it and set it down again, and then we'll be done. Mm. <laughs> and we know that's not how it works anymore. The change is continuous, as you just pointed out. So because people do need, one of the things that you're absolutely right, one of the things that a leader really needs to provide is a sense of where we're going, what is the future. Mm. So what we've seen is that leaders have to conceive of and communicate it that this is just a snapshot. This is what I can see from here and we'll evolve it together because if the leader says, okay, this is the future. And then a year later, it's not the future, then they lose credibility. But if they say, this is the future I can see now, let's continue to get clearer about it together. It's kind of like, I, I, this is a weird analogy, but you know, in the early part of the 19th century, when, um, Westerners were moving farther and farther, you know, Europeans were moving farther and farther west in the United States. They didn't really know what they were going to come up against. Hmm. So all they could say is, I know there's some big mountains out there that we're going to have to go over. You guys with me? Are we ready for the mountains? And then as we get closer to the mountains, we'll see more and more what's happening. But you can just do these kind of snapshots that you know you're going to have to change and build out with people. But even giving those snapshots is really important because people don't want to feel like they're just heading into, you know, total unknown. So you have to say as much as you know, you know. Interesting. And um, um, what about bias? Like how, how because at, again, at, at leadership level, something have, and I, I, like I see it almost every time I talk to someone that they have, bootload of um, biases running with them because things have worked out for them in some cases and that, yes. that has really enforced the re, reinforced sort of their their thinking but when they run an organization it's not pretty much like running as you because what are some of the things that that what are some of the challenges that you see uh, leaders face and and what are some of your suggestions we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. 
Well, that takes us right back where we were talking about before. So getting really accurate and neutral in your self-awareness and your situational awareness. And it's the same thing. It's questioning your self-talk. Our assumptions live in how we talk to ourselves. So if you hear yourself saying, well, you know, doing X and Y is the only way a company can succeed, then you have to say to yourself, really? Mm. Is that really true? What else could be true? And then, as good data scientists do, gather more data about what could be true, what might work. You just, you have to really be careful to question your own biases and then get curious. Mm. Because what happens when we have strong assumptions is our curiosity stops. You know, this is the way it is. I'm done. Next. Mm. <laughs> Versus saying, wait, wait, what else could be true? What if we did this? How, how have other people done it? Just to really look and get curious. Interesting. And, uh, and, in from your vantage point because you have been involved with leaders and leadership styles for quite some time what like how has leadership evolved uh, from from the time you have started up becoming one of the observers of what's happening and helping these these leaders out how has it it, it, it evolved like what are some of the things that you could take away as some of the signs that uh, we really need to worry about and some of the things some of the signs that really keep you hopeful about so that you're welcome to disagree with this, but what 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 I really think is that the core qualities that people look for in good leaders are timeless. And in fact, the book I wrote before this one is called Leading So People Will Follow, and it's about that. It's about what are those timeless kind of universal, deeply wired in characteristics that people look for in leaders. And um, it's interesting because I the way I came to these was by reading folk tales and fairy tales to my children. Hmm. And I saw that um, these ageless stories, you know, that have been true for centuries and centuries in almost all different cultures, they keep, there's, there's a story, we, we all know it, I'm sure it's in, I assume it's in Indian cultures, it's in Native American cultures, it's Western, that there's a story where there's a quest, right? And you're supposed to kill the dragon or save the princess or whatever it is. And usually there's three brothers and the older two just flail and, you know, fail. And then the younger one goes through a whole series of trials and, and demonstrations and saves the princess, kills the dragon, we all live happily ever after. And as I was reading the stories, I realized that there were themes that over and over again, wherever the story was from, this kid had to show the same set of qualities mm. before he could become the king and save everybody and we all live happily ever after. And so what those qualities are briefly are farsighted, which is what you and I have been talking about. They have to be able to conceive of and articulate in a compelling way that vision of the future. Passionate, which doesn't mean loud, it means deep. It means I am committed to you, to the enterprise, to the, the group of us getting to where we need to go, and I'm not going to be hmm. thrown off that. I'm deeply committed. I'm open, but I'm deeply committed. And then courageous that we want leaders who will do things that are personally difficult for them for the good of the enterprise, right? And wise, which means they learn from their experience, they share that learning. Generous, I mean, this has been important to human beings for thousands of years, generous with knowledge, with resources, with wisdom, right, with responsibility, and then trustworthy, mm -hmm. that we can really trust that they'll do what they say they're going to do. And I think those six things are absolutely ageless. The, what I've seen change over the 40 years that I've been thinking about leadership is speed. Mm. <laughs> People have to do all that stuff at a much higher rate of speed. 
and you have to show demonstrate those qualities more quickly. I mean, 40 years ago, you know, you get a new leader and you give them a couple of years to demonstrate to you who they are. Now we've got about a week <laughs> before people decide whether or not we're a good leader, right? So it's all the same stuff. We just have to show it a lot faster. So how can how can they learn that fast? Like what, what are some of the things that, that you are seeing that uh, how has um, some of the successful leaders kept up with the space? Um, because they have been also evolving through so what yeah. are some of the things that you have seen? So all this stuff connects together, I find, as I think about it. So, yeah. um, you know, so I wrote this book, Waiting So People Follow. And then when I was inter- doing interviews about it is when I started to really understand the model for the next book. Because people would mm. say, well, okay, so then how do readers get to be good leaders? And I said, well, there's a lot of stuff in the book about how, what they can do. But really, what they need to do is be able to increase their aspiration, be neutrally self-aware, be endlessly curious, be willing to be that first, because that's how you learn anything faster, including how to be a good leader, right? Mm. In my mind, anyway, it's connected together. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, First Friday Fair. Dot .tao.ai dot and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. That's nice. And let's 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 go let's go a bit in your book um Be Bad First. Why 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 the, why write this book? Because I really because of everything we've been saying the the in order for us to succeed in the 21st century, I do think the single most critical skill for everyone is to be able to learn new skills and new ways of behaving and operating quickly and without a lot of resistance and to get over our hesitation and fears and resistance to learning new things and just taking on new ways of operating. So I thought um, I was doing a service to humanity by writing this book. (laughs) (laughs) So um, be bad first, right? So typically we are not often rewarded for being bad. Exactly. So, So how, why and and what what really like how would you convince someone to to break the mold and and go somewhere go a bit unconventional okay i so here's how i'll answer that question because things are happening and changing so fast now Hmm. you cannot avoid being bad at new things i mean unless you're mozart and you're writing symphonies when you're four you know you're going to be bad at new things you you agree with that Hmm. True. Anything that you've never done before, you're going to be bad at it, right? True, yeah. So the only way to avoid being bad at things is to, A, never try anything new. Hmm. Which means you're going to be completely marginalized and you're not going to have a successful life. <laughs> hmm. Or pretend that you're already good at it, which is going to blow up in your face, right? Hmm. So in my mind, the only way to be successful is to get good at that initial phase of being bad at things, of being a novice. Therefore, be bad first. So if you're good at it, if you're comfortable with it, you can move through it a lot more quickly. And I'll give you a great example of this. So I knit. It's one of my many hobbies. I knit. And so I decided a couple years ago, well, I should learn how to spin too. Then I could take it all the way from cheap to garment, right? So I started trying to learn how to spin, and I tried to learn off of YouTube, and I couldn't. So I engaged a, a teacher. And before my first spinning lesson, I practiced my own 
you know, stuff. I practice what I preach. And so I said to myself, okay, I was kind of nervous. I said to myself, okay, I'm going to be bad at this. I've never done it before. And actually, that was hugely liberating. It was mm. calming and it calmed down the, my internal noise of like, ah, he's going to think I'm an idiot, you know? So I said to myself, I'm going to be bad at this, but I'm good at learning. I can learn it pretty quickly as long as I acknowledge that I'm a novice to start with. And so that was the mindset that I went into it. And the first lesson was great. It, when you don't have all that stuff going on in your head about, oh, I'm going to be terrible and they're going to think I'm an idiot, and then you just have a blank space in your head you can learn. So I was learning pretty quickly. And by the end of the first lesson, he's like, wow, you're really picking this up quickly. And I told him what I was doing. I said, well, I came in this mindset. And my spinning teacher said, wow, that really makes a lot of sense. He said, I was, I was trying to teach. I was giving this other woman a couple of weeks ago her first lesson. And she was a very expert weaver. So she thought she should be a good spinner. And he said it was awful. She was so frustrated because she thought she should already know it. By the end of the lesson, she was actually doing worse than she was at the beginning. And I thought that was such a great example of if you can come in with novice mindset, yep, going to be bad. Now I can start to learn. It frees you to actually learn. Does that make sense? That's a pretty cool example. So I, yes, I think it, it does. Uh, it, it definitely does. So um, what's the role of a business in, 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 in making a good leader? Like how, how committed uh, or... If, if I'm a business and then sort of if I, I am responsible for churning out great leaders that probably help this business exist in this so-called jobs of future, what is the role of a business? What do you think? Man, I super love that question. I, you know, when I, when I wrote my first book, Growing Great Employees, it was about how to be a good manager, which is different than being a good leader, but there's similarities. And one of the things I talked about a lot was how most businesses just absolutely don't help people be good managers mm. and leaders. I mean, if you think about it, like if let's say you're going to be a, a lawyer, right? Mm. So you go to law school, that takes a couple of years, and then you have to pass the bar. And then, you know, you have to do a bunch of stuff to even get to where you get to start to be a lawyer or a social worker or a doctor or anything. The way most people in businesses get to be managers and leaders is they're just going along doing their job. And one day, their boss calls them into the office and says, okay, now you have a team. Good luck with that. Tell me if you have a problem. What? You're just supposed to magically know how to do it, right? So I think the most important thing that businesses can do is prepare people to manage and lead by offering them help hmm. with the skills and mindset that are necessary. You know, good there isn't that much good, but good management leadership training that's really skill-based, that's really mindset-based, that can help you see what it means to be a leader and how to behave differently. How to, I mean, learning, this may sound weird, but to me, learning how to be a leader, a good leader, a good manager is not that different than learning how to be a good carpenter or mm. ballet dancer. They're, they're new behaviors you have to learn how to do, right? And businesses can help with that. Interesting. And, and and how would um, if I'm a leader, what should I expect the business? Like, what should what should my expectation from the business be? Wow, I love that too. So if I if somebody if I do walk into my manager's office and he says, "Okay, you're going to be managing three people," my responsibility, I think, is to say, "Thank you, thank you very much." And what resources are available through the organization to help me do that well? That's my responsibility. And if the manager gives me a blank look. <laughs> uh, I don't know, really? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's my responsibility to say, well, 
is it okay with you if I find some resources outside the company that can help me do that well? Rather than just assuming that you're going to automatically know how to do it because you're a smart person, you know? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And and what about um, some of the some of the bad examples that you can you can that you have seen over the over the time, like some of the messed up culture where sort of leaders are not really churning out their very toxic environment. Like what are some of the things that you have seen, some of the commonalities, some of the common threads that 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 someone should look an eye out for uh, when they are sort of evaluating uh, their periphery to lead? Wow, you're asking great questions. So the first two things that come to mind are um, fear and anti-learning, and I'll explain both of those. So there are some organizations that are set up with fear as the main motivator. Hmm. And what I've seen over the years, and this is supported by neuroscience, is that fear is a great short-term motivator, Hmm. but it's not sustainable and it's very fragile. Like if I'm afraid of something, that will definitely motivate me not to do it or to do the opposite. But I don't like it. We don't like being afraid. Mm. So as quickly as possible, we try to get out of that situation, which is what I mean by it's fragile and it's short term. So if you find yourself looking at being a part of an organization where you can tell that the motivation is fear, and you can tell that by how people talk, if they talk about punishment, and you know negative consequences and that guy you know he got he didn't work out and they just threw him under the bus you know people talk that way it's like oh this is going to be bad so that's thing one (laughs) and thing two is kind of what we've been talking about all along there are some organizations that are anti-learning organizations and by that I mean they expect you to know everything and don't say when you don't know things like if you're looking at a, jo- a job as a leader in an organization, the, the immediate thing to look for is that question I asked before. If you were to say to your potential boss, what, are, what resources does the organization have to help me be a better leader? Hmm. If the answer you get is some version of, oh, no, we're hiring you to be a good leader. Hmm. You know everything coming in. It's like, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's true. Interesting. And, and and what about the, say, the hallmark use case or some of the cases where you've seen, wow, this they get it. Like, what are some of the some of the examples where, you, where you're pleasantly surprised with how they are actually nurturing the leaders? Like, what are some of the good qualities or sort of good uh, indicators that, that really someone should look out for since saying, okay, you, you really do care of your leaders and you really help in growing them? So it's all the things we've been talking about. So if you go into an organization and they immediately say to you, Here's how we support our people's success. Here's how we support our leader's success. Here are the cultural things that we put in place. If you, if when you're going um, in to look for a job as a leader, right, and you say, you ask some question like, well, how would you describe the culture here? If they have an answer to that question, and then they can tell you real stories about how that works in the day-to-day, that's a really good sign. Because a lot of people don't have any answer to that. Oh, we have a good culture. What does that look like? Well, you know, it's good. They can't really answer the question. And some people can answer it, but you can tell it's just something that only lives on the wall. We believe in teamwork and we believe in this and that. Well, can you give me an example? of that? And if they can't give you examples, that means it's not real. People, if values really live in a culture, people can tell you stories, hmm. right? So, so look for that. And make sure that it, um, 
that whatever they tell you about the kind of organization it is, that it resonates for you. Because different people like different cultures. Some like cultures that are more open and loose. Some like cultures that are more organized and formal. So ask questions to find out whether this is really going to be a good fit for you and your style as a person. Interesting. And I think, so I have this one weird hypothetical, by the way, and I want to just put you through it and see how how you how we, we both come out at the end of it but um, i think this is so we we are seeing something nowadays a lot um, some so called ai artificial intelligence right and we are seeing sort of a um, lot of machines are doing lot of the work uh, so and and on on the other side businesses are incentive for how much money they can make or they can save right so uh, if if the market is stagnant so you worry about how much money you can save so the instant sort of uh, next best thing that could happen is hey let me get rid of few folks and let me replace it by machines but if you look at how businesses have acquired people it's a very lengthy process and they have grown and obviously when 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 you get these people into an organization they bring their culture they bring their diversity they bring a lot of these mixes sort of that, that intermingle to create that magic sauce uh, that that runs a company but these machines are very stereotypical you expect them to do something and they do do something so when you are lead leader leading that organization and and leading sort of through this change of of habits and and then you know that market favors either making money or saving money those paradigms and how would you think uh, the leadership evolving in this future in in this in this sort of uh, in this future scenario in which machines are taking over and and there's a big incentive that every leader has to sort of save on some bottom line or really nurture these talent pool in in some directions like what what is your perspective in that so there i can say 150 things about that so i'll just pick one or two <laughs> um you know i mean we could all think like elon musk that machines are taking over and none of us are going to have a job i don't tend to think that's true i i think it's it's sort of like okay so put aside ai for machine so mm. as uh, good leaders develop the people below them so that they themselves the leaders are able to operate at ever higher and higher levels right that's why you delegate so if you're a good manager and you have some people you you try to teach them and help them grow to their potential so that you can give away stuff so that you can do more and more high order interesting necessary work So I feel like the same dynamic is true of machines that good leaders and this is especially true as the future goes on and machines are capable of more and more sophisticated tasks that we're going to have to as leaders really think about what is uniquely human what are human beings capable of that machines are not yet capable of and do our best to train our people to do those things so that they they don't become obsolete I mean I feel like you know you can look at it in a terrible way as like oh machines are going to take over and none of us are going to have a job or you can look at it like like the 21st century version of we have washing machines so that we mm. no longer have the launder woman you know mm. that <laughs> that they're going to take over more and more tasks that free us then to do those very sophisticated relational things that mm. at this point anyway only, only human beings can do So I think that's the the role of leaders is to figure out what is it that we can that we are now being freed to do and how can I help my people be able to do that. 
interesting interesting and and when you when you uh, and by the way thank you so much for for putting yourself through this uh, i'm sorry for i just felt i, I have to ask you this so um when you so what are some of the self check mechanisms so if i'm if you're a leader right sure i'm a great leader i'm awesome people love me that that's not difficult right but what are some of the self check that when you access uh, when you sort of uh, evaluate a leader what are some of some of some of how would you how would you sort of um, measure that out so there are some good frames i happen to think that our frame the you know Farsighted, passionate, courageous, wise, generous, trustworthy is a good frame, you know, and, and to try and be really, as I said before, really accurate. And I just go, oh, yeah, I'm awesomely courageous. Really? Are you? Do you have any data for that belief, you know? Um, but then also have what, what I call in that book sources. Find some people who see you clearly, who want the best for you, who are willing to tell you the truth and ask them. You know, everybody should have some fair witnesses in their mm. friend and colleague group. My, my, I have two business partners, Larry and Jeff, and Jeff has been my partner for 18 years. And he is, he is my fair witness. I mean, if I go to him and say, how did I do in this regard? He is, he loves me. And so it's always hopeful and supportive, but man, if I've screwed up, he will tell me. Mm. And we all, we all need, cause we, we just, even if we're, even if we have the best of intentions and we're really trying to be accurate about ourselves, we just cannot see ourselves as clearly as other people can. And so we all need some outside people who will give us that feedback. Interesting. Because I think this, so this, I suffer through this a lot. I think when, when sort of, um, when you want sort of honest opinion at some point, so you start getting some of the very predictable outcomes when you ask for a feedback and you say, okay, maybe I'm not getting honest opinion there because everyone's saying the same thing. I want sort of some critique or some, some this other direction. And then sort of you, I started even seeing myself, I built the bias for the negative bias. So I said, okay, anyone who says negative are amazing or whatever. Right. So it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a constant battle of really who, who should I go out, go out at when, when I, when I, when I seek in, and because as a leader, you don't get an, too many honest opinions. And if, if you get, they're hidden somewhere. In fact, I read this thing about 15 years ago that really struck me. Um, somebody, I'm not going to censure, I can't remember. Somebody did a study about why leaders fail. And um, the two main reasons were basically they start thinking too highly of themselves and they don't have good sources of feedback. Those were the two main reasons. So what you're saying is absolutely true. And I think you, you have to test your sources of feedback just like you test your sources of feedback in an experiment, right? Mm. To see whether or not it's valid over time. So that what I was saying about my partner, Jeff, I mean, I've known the guy for almost mm. years. He's been my business partner for almost 20. And not only does he always give me balanced feedback, which is a really important thing to look for. If somebody tells you all negative, not great. Somebody tells you all positive, not great. Because Neither of those things are ever true about anybody. <laughs> so he gives me balanced feedback. And then I've seen over time, even when I didn't even agree with him, he generally turns out to be right. Right? So you have to That's vet awesome. your feedback to make sure that they're accurate. Interesting. That that's pretty cool. And 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 and, and if what are some of the self-check for companies? Like what are some of the self-check for um, businesses to say, hey, I I can really turn out leaders for this dystopian future or this hopeful future, which however you, you look at this, 
What well, are some of the like, subjects? Like, like for you know individuals, they have to be willing to be accurate. And what you said at the very beginning about bias and assumption, I feel like organizations are even more at the effect of that mm-hmm. than um, individuals because people are trying to, pardon my French, cover their asses, right, and not get hurt. But so you have to, as an organization, be willing to say, we're going to be, we want to find out the real story. We want to be accurate about ourselves. And then you have to have good metrics. You have to decide amongst yourselves, what does it mean to have good leaders? What does it mean to create good leaders? How would we know if that were true? Would their people grow faster? Would we have less turnover? Well, maybe not because the bad ones might be staying. You really have to think about what are the actual metrics that will show you whether or not you're you're creating good leaders, and then be, you know, rigorous about looking at those metrics in an accurate way. It's part of the science. <laughs> interesting, interesting. And I think, so one more weird behavior that I'm seeing in my side of the world uh, nowadays is too much dependence on data. So I like it's, I think whenever I talk yes. to many of my interactions, say, hey, Vishal, don't worry, we have the stats saying that blah, 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 and, and blah, 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 and, 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 and sort of, and my struggle is to try to figure out there is no bias in the stats, right? So that's one number one, but it doesn't matter. At a leadership level, like some of this, some of, some of their, why their leader uh, to begin with is their intuition or their sort of the grasp of something that is not very evident. But exactly. what data, what data can tell us is very, very predictable. Like I, sure, some observation and some things. And it's, it's, it, it is great for incremental sort of decision making. Sure, add one more box because customer wants one more box. But uh, as I think as Anyford uh, uh, says that if you ask people, they want faster horses, right? Exactly. So for, for, if you're a leader in that sort of mindset where vision is, hindsight is not very clear. And, and, and I, was, I was reading this quote that whenever there's a, there's a burst of innovation, there has been big brouhaha around the world will end and there's no nothing will because the data is doesn't permit that and i think one of the hallmark research i I remember was a a report from mckinsey so mckinsey was asked by at&t hey i think back in 1980 that how many cell phones would you think would be sold by 2000 and they come up with 900,000. yeah and 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 it was 120 million so when you are that like when you are that dependent on data you tend to miss out on the the unknown unknowns yeah. Totally agree. And in fact, I was just having breakfast, breakfast with a friend of mine this morning who, um, this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago when DVRs were first coming in and she was running CBS and they kept telling her, oh, well, there'll never be more than about 10% penetration of DVRs. This isn't something we have to worry about. She kept going, I, I don't think that's true. You know, so it goes back to what we were saying before about AI that What you're talking about are the kinds of skills that it's going to be very, very difficult. Nothing's impossible, but very difficult for machines to replicate that ability to take data, interpret it according to experience and intuition and come up with something fresh and new. And that's what we as human beings, I think, have to get better and better at is starting with the data and then interpreting it in ways, you know, taking bets on the future. This is where I think this needs to go. That's a purely human thing to be able to do. And learning how to get better at that is really key. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and even, um, um, I think bias is, is something that, that I, I see a lot, uh, sort of. Um, it's, I think it is very difficult to fight that off. And I think, uh, so what, 
what are uh, first i want to have your perspective and then probably i'll 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 yell out something that i am seeing um, uh, from what some of the great leaders that that i've interacted with from your pers- from your uh, perspective what are some of the best um, sort of best examples you have seen in which leaders have really secured themselves and themselves from any of the bias creeping in like what are some of your thoughts there you know the leaders that i've seen who are really good at that do that simple thing that i was talking about at the very beginning where they just ask themselves they they um rather than just saying this is the way it is they go they they turn that statement into a question which is making it a hypothesis right is this the way it is <laughs> so rather than saying this is the way it is they go is this the way it is and then they go what else could be true they just keep themselves in that curious questioning mode. It's a simple thing, but it's very powerful. Interesting. Because I think um, so. One of the responses that I, I've heard about, and I think I, I do appreciate this particular individual. So, so he said that he he sort of built a council. So whatever keyword he think, he just bring out people on from that council, and then every now and then he runs a meeting in which he has this all this consulate so called, and and sort of they they talk about this area. Um, and then he just hear these people talk, and and his his idea is sure I'm not killing the bias still, but I'm minimizing the impact because there are a lot of biases coming in together. Probably it's just it's just it's just nullifying everyone, and then we sort of go a bit democratizing, an intuitive. Um, so it's a very sort of uh, nerdy way to kill or statistical way to kill um, a bias, which is pretty fat. I said create a scattergram, so to say. <laughs> So that you end up in the best place. I mean, I, I I agree with the core of that. I do think that it's each person's responsibility to try and unpack and see their own biases to get as clear and fair witness as possible. And I do think that for most questions that don't have pat answers, it is important to get more than one person involved because you just see things from a different point of view. I, as I said earlier, I have two business partners, and all three of us are wired very differently. We were just um, meeting together last week in Minneapolis, and we we work really well together. We're very collaborative. We have tremendous respect for each other. I think we communicate quite well. So sometimes we'll just all go, yep. But quite often, we'll really have to find that point, that new Mm. different point where we all all agree. And it takes us further. It takes us much further than it would have taken just one of our brains. So I completely agree with getting a few smart, unbiased as possible people in the room to answer important questions because you almost always get a better answer. Interesting. And and if, if you talk about Proteus for, for, for a few minutes, when is the right time to engage with something like you guys? Like when when do you think, the, if, I'm a, if I'm a business, I should say, hey, maybe I should give you guys a call. Like what is that hallmark moment and, and revelation that I should say? That's a great question. So. If you, if you as a business feel like we are not as good as we need to be at having our leaders be ready to lead us into the future. So that could be on an organizational level that we're not clear about the future we want to create for ourselves. It could be on an individual level that leaders, we're not, as you, know, you and I were talking about before, we're not preparing our leaders to be good leaders as um, maybe we have, we understand the future we want to create, but we don't know how to get there. If there, if there's any impediment to you actually moving toward the future you want to create for yourself, you should 
interesting interesting pretty cool and and what are some of the um some of the signatures of or some of the um qualities of a successful leader like what are some of the things that that you can say hey um, maybe you should like whenever you talk to someone what are some of the things that you would expect these guys uh, and i think we talked some of these qualities but if if you if you want to give them a template to follow is there is there anything that they could they could learn from i i obviously i wrote a whole look book about it so i love it but um i love those six qualities and i do think and and it's funny while i was writing the book the leading so people will follow book we we created a multi rater assessment and we had it validated by a statistician statistician and she reinforced for us that these six things are highly correlated in people's minds with followability so that that made us feel good and so i do think it's a great frame in terms of kind of metrics like outcomes what do you look for if a leader is really doing well then i would look for both the operational metrics and the human metrics so in my experience good leaders create good businesses their businesses are achieve their goals whether it's growth or profitability or innovation they achieve the goals they set out for themselves and people really really like working for them interesting interesting wow because the more people like working for you the more they're going to be able to do good things and then if you as a leader know how to get how to, how to inspire and motivate and clarify them to do good things so you should be able to see both those things the business is doing well and people love working there interesting and and do you have any good sort of transformative story where sort of you have really taken a messed up uh, leader or a company and they have really set their way um, do you have any sort of walk through story that you can you can sort of navigate us through that how actually change how difficult it is for change to happen and how folks have really done that yeah i mean i have hundreds of them obviously you know because we have a dozen coaches and i have the people i've worked with and then we have but um without you know talking about any people right right, right. so um my one of my stories i feel very best about is a woman who was a very good leader on a business sense she was a great operator and a real visionary in lots of ways but just didn't have that human side didn't understand how to connect with people didn't really understand how to motivate people people were incredibly impressed by her and respectful of her because she was so smart such a good business operator and we really helped her see the human cost of her not focusing on people and on their motivation so she learned a lot of um really basic communication skills we helped her learn how to listen how to really take people's point of view and incorporate it how to in her be more hopeful and positive in her feedback versus just kind of punitive just some simple human interaction skills and it took what she was great at and just put in that human mm. and now and she's in the Six years since I started working with her, she's been promoted three times, and now she works nice. with her. Nice. So, so I think um, fascinating, yeah. and I think you 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 are bringing uh, some an interesting area that I'd love to chat with you for a few few minutes on that is female leaders, right? So I think this this is another another thing that I find myself into a lot. Like uh, interestingly, so I, I I put up a conference a while back uh, in Boston, and I was asking. Fee- so there was a panel for for women leaders in in data science and i pretty much did 100 calls to a lot of these women and and no one showed up 
and it's it was like getting to a point where we were about to cancel that but luckily somehow things worked together and we went up putting that in the, and it's it's like 4 5 years back but from your vantage point like what are some of the opportunities what are some of the things that you are seeing um for female leaders to to progress like they we we are seeing some of the sure there's there's lot of conversation happening around um uh, but what are some of from your vantage point what are some of the opportunities and what are some of the things that that you see or worried about uh, when it comes to female leaders emerging so um a couple of months ago maybe four or five months ago now i wrote uh, a post on my blog at forbes about women in tech companies hmm. and uh, i spoke to this wonderful this woman who's the cmo of a tech company and she told me about all these great things that they're doing to reduce unconscious bias hmm. um in tech and i think in some ways the the biases in tech are worse than in a lot of areas mm. because tech has been such a male bastion you know mm. and um but in some of the things that she talked about i think are important for unconscious bias not only against women but people of color and you know sexual orientation all kinds of discrimination she talked for instance i'll just give you one example that i thought was really important um they they've really tried to remove the unconscious bias in their job descriptions mm. and what they found is that they were being so specific in their job descriptions that it made women less likely to mm. even apply for the jobs because what's true is that when a man and a woman generally speaking is not mm. true obviously mm. but when an average man and average woman look at a job description the the man if he scans the job description and feels like he has you know 50% on there he'll apply mm. the woman unless she sees that she has already has like 80% of those capabilities right. she won't apply and so um what they found is by being less specific and more kind of global in their job descriptions they reduced their unconscious bias so and they got better candidates and more women candidates and then that's just one example but then they they um found that there were for instance things they were doing in terms of language you know how people mm. talk that and i don't even mean you know egregious me mm. too kind of harassment stuff but just the conversations that were about sports analogies mm. you know things like that and i think if you're really serious as a company mm. being open to not only women but people of color you just have to look for those sometimes very subtle but real impediments that you're creating interesting so if if you are a woman woman in 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 an organization who is planning to grow into a leader but find it, find all these glass ceilings all over the place like what are some of the things you could suggest what are some things you could advise to at least the organization where leaders are women leaders have not yet emerged or or in in minority and 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 in the organizations where like anyone who's listening and viewing this podcast uh, what would, what are some of the things you could suggest to a woman to uh, to help her grow Well the one really good thing is it turns out that the skills and capabilities that are important to a leader and to lead and manage well are sex neutral they're gender neutral and even when we were creating this um assessment for the leading so people follow book we found out that it was absolutely gender neutral when we did the validation hmm. people don't look for different qualities from men and women leaders that those six qualities are equally valued um and it's same thing with management um so that's important to know that just if you are a good leader it's not there are you know good women leaders are not different than good men leaders so that's important to know the second thing i would say is if you're if you want to be a woman leader in an organization really 
look for mentors, women mentors. And if you can find those, if you can find women who are a level or two above you and ask most mm. women want to help you. And if, you, if they don't exist in your organization, then find one in a similar organization. Because you want to know the person who's broken the path, you want to know what they've done to break that path. So that's really important. And then, this is a little riskier, but I think it's important. If, if you notice that you are really being discriminated against mm -hmm. in subtle ways, try to bring it up to people in ways that are not um, demanding, but just uh, sharing your point of view. Like, for instance, this one young woman that I know, she was in a situation where she was the only, she worked for a tech company. She was often the only woman in meetings. She was a kind of mid-level manager. Mm. And she would say something and people would kind of ignore her. And then a man would say the same thing 10 minutes later and would get a response, right? Mm. So she went to her boss and she said, I want to bring something up that may be a little uncomfortable, but I just want to bring it to your attention. And then she just said what she saw. She said, I noticed that wow. often when I bring up an idea, it, no one responds at all. And then someone else in the meeting will bring a man, will bring the idea later and people will respond to it. That's it. She just said that. So she just raised his consciousness. She didn't demand that he change. She didn't tell him she was going to HR. She just said, I noticed this. And he started to address it, you know, because he was a good guy. So he started noticing it happen and she, he would watch her say something and have people blow right past mm. him. You know, Ellen just said something I think is important. Let's listen to that. So sometimes just raising people's consciousness, if they're good people, is enough to make a change start to happen. Beautiful. And, and Erica, th thank you so much for um, uh, providing your thoughts on such an important topic. And I do appreciate, it, appreciate that. So now we're at the tail end of the conversation. So I, I want to spend some, some minutes on your journey. Uh, so I think um, we ask all of our guests. So in, 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 your, in your journey, if I say three qualities that have really uh, helped you stay sane and successful throughout your journey, like what would, that, what would you attribute that to be? Like what are some of those qualities that really helped, helped you become what you are? So I, people have asked me questions like this a lot, and I always say the same thing, and I really think it's true. And, and not only what has helped me in my journey as a professional, but what has helped me in my journey as a parent and a spouse mm -hmm. and a citizen of the world, I think if somebody said to me, okay, of all the skills and understanding that you've come to over the years, you, you can only use three of them. The others you don't get to use. Which would they be? And the first one I always say is managing my self-talk. And that could be a whole different conversation that we don't have time to have, but I talk about it in all my books. The fact that it's, it's what I was talking about before about accurate self-awareness. We can speak to ourselves differently. And most of our problems arise when we speak to ourselves in untrue or negative ways. When we say you're an idiot or you don't know how to do this or you're perfect or whatever, you can manage that. You can speak to yourself differently. So that's my first thing. I encourage everybody to do that. Second one is listening. I think listening is the foundation of all successful relationships. And if you really learn how to listen well, which means let go of what you're thinking about and really, really attend to what the other person's saying and try to understand it, it's, it's the core of success as a leader, as a parent, as a salesperson, as a spouse, anything, everything, as a friend. So listening. And then the third one is curiosity. I do think curiosity is 
just turbocharges change and learning and openness and acceptance. And we all have it. We all, you know, when I was talking about little kids, we're all born these relentlessly. In fact, there are some scientists that think that curiosity in babies and children is a drive, mm. like hunger and thirst, that it's so important for survival. It's how kids figure out how to operate in the world, right? And we just sort of forget it or it gets mm. sort of buried over when we get to be adults. And to, so to re-engage that kind of like, and you're, you're very curious. You ask great curious questions. And I'm sure it's a huge benefit to you to be like, oh, why does that happen? And what do you think about that? And so I, those are the three things, managing your self-talk, listening, and being curious. If everybody did that, it would be a better world. Beautiful. And, and thank you for sharing that. So, and, and one, one other, other question I really am interested uh, to learn about you is some of your reading habits. Like what are some of the books that, that, that you, you have read that you like to share with our listeners and viewers? I read a lot of fiction because uh, I love good writing and I feel like stories are the DNA of humanity. Mm -hmm. Stories are since the dawn of time, how we've communicated fun stuff. So I feel by reading good stories, I get to be a better storyteller. So I read a lot of fiction. But in terms of uh, business books, probably my favorite business book of all time is Jim Collins' Good to Great. Mm -hmm. I love that book. And I feel like it tells timeless <coughs> truths about what is important in business. So I love that book, recommend it without a hesitation. And then my favorite business author is probably Dan Pink. I love every book he's written. And uh, I just found out recently, I didn't know, he has a new book out called When. And so I'm very yeah. excited. Very nice book, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And um, thank you for, for sharing that. So now we're at the last but not the least question of, 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 this, of this session. Um, if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would that be? Like, what would be a closing remark to our listeners and viewers? Be willing to be bad first, you know, <laughs> be willing to be a novice. If you are willing to be a novice, it will just solve so many problems in your life and you'll learn so many new things and you'll meet so many great people who know stuff that you don't know. And, be willing to be anonymous throughout your whole life, no matter how old you get. Just keep being willing to be honest. Beautifully said, and and I'm not sure about the listeners and viewers, but I I will try to be bad first. So, <laughs> so yeah. I do thank you for for that interesting sort of nugget perspective. That that really I find it very very useful. So uh, again, um, Erika, thank you so much for your time, oh, being wow. really generous with with your time with our with our with our communities. You're always welcome back on 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 the podcast. Uh, love to have you back when you the change is out, and we'll we'll talk about talk that another fun topic for a fun sort of vertical. Yeah. So definitely would be interested in that. And whenever you're in Boston, let me know. Let's let's catch up over a coffee okay. or something, and we can we can chat. Great conversation. I just loved all your questions and all all my favorite stuff to talk about. So thank you. Thank you.